This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I am your host, Jim Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons. Remember, uh, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. I had to think of that for a second. I had a pause there. What do I say? What do I say? Oh yeah, I'm not really a doctor. I'm not. The Dr. Dim thing was a nickname I picked up in art school and, you know, it's a name I've used in chat rooms back when chat rooms were a thing. When listening to online radio shows like Z Talk Radio, such as the station that this show is on, from way back in the day, um, <clears throat> you know I've been doing this show for over 13 years. <laughs> it's hard to believe, isn't it? So anyway, I'm coming to you once again from the basement of Nostalgia Zone, which is a comic book store in Minneapolis. We do have a website. Go to nostalgiazone.com. If you become a member of our membership, you'll save 10% on your purchases of old comic books and magazines, and uh, you'll earn points that you can use as, you know, more of a percentage off, or not a percentage, but money off of uh, future purchases. Uh, you can let them accrue and get up to, uh, you know, big money to save. Uh, right now, I'm sitting on about, I don't know, $45 worth of points. Just, just you know, there's going to be that big issue that's $100, and I don't want to spend $100, but, you know, I could maybe use my points and get it for much less. You know, that kind of thing. And then there's other benefits to being a member. When books sit on the shelves for long enough, they start to get some extra discounts added to them. So you save your 10%, and then you'll get another maybe 20% off that comic book if it's at that level, 30% if it's at that level. And I thought we were going to get rid of the 40% level, but it still seems like it's in there. So, you know... If you find some books with the 40% off, you might want to grab it because that may not last for much longer. I don't know. <clears throat> so we've got all kinds of comic books. Back issues. We deal only in back issues. We go from like a couple of years ago or a year ago down back, down you know through time through the you know 1940s. So, uh, but most of our books are Silver Age, Bronze Age, Modern Age, but we do have some Golden Age books in there. Uh, it's a good deal if you want to become a member. If you collect comic books, do it. And, uh, you know, tell them Dr. Dim sent you. I don't know where you could tell them that, but, you know. Anyway, so I record the show in the basement, and I figured I should do a commercial or an ad or whatever this is to, to help promote the store and maybe pick up some new members uh, to people to, to buy the stuff. So check out our website, nostalgiazone.com, and... You know, become a member and buy some comic books from us. That'd be really awesome because I like to keep this job <laughs> and have this space to do my show. Uh, <clears throat> I don't remember the first album I bought with my own money. I don't remember. And I bring this up because uh, I was on a podcast recently. I was a guest, uh, a friend of mine, uh, one of the uh, Perineum Party. I mean, uh, the Gooch Squad, that uh, he has uh, a couple of podcast things he does. He does a music one, uh, Into the Unknown, I think it's called, where he just plays a bunch of obscure bands or new and up-and-coming bands and stuff. He just you know does a podcast that way. Uh, he also has this podcast called Five Questions. I think that's what he calls it. His name is Jeff, and he's, he's from the England land. He's over there on the other side of the ocean from where I am. Uh, the Atlantic Ocean, that is. But, you know, if you're going the other way, he's on the other side of the Pacific Ocean, too. I mean, but way over the other... You know, it's a globe. It's not flat. It's it's a globe. The Earth is a sphere. It's not flat. So, anyway, um, he has people on, 
and he asks them five questions and and they're not always this I, I thought at first it was the same five questions so I hadn't listened to any of his podcasts because I I wanted to come in fresh I didn't want to be influenced by other people's answers to the five questions I didn't want to know what the five questions were before I came in but he said no 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 I do different questions but there is like a, a question that does kind of keep coming into to each of the shows uh, and he has a way of things. If you, when the, when it comes uh, available, um, I'll let you know. I'll link to it in the show notes, which you can get to by going to dimland.com. Click on the show notes slash blog option, and you'll get to the show notes for this for this show, which has the links to everything. It tells you what songs I played in the bumpers, and if I'm if I'm able, I link to the song so you can check it out, and all that kind of stuff. It's on it's on there. Because if you're not going to the show notes, if you're, you're only getting like. 52% of the show, if you're not checking out the show notes. So anyway, um, <clears throat> Jeff had me on, and he did ask me, and I'm going to spoil the first question he asked, which was, what's the first album you bought? I mean, with your own money. <clears throat> I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, I don't think he said that part of it, but I took it to being that. And I, you know, it's just not like, well, not like an album that was bought for me by my parents, as opposed to that, I guess. And I said to him, I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. Uh, because I, I, I've, I've heard this question before. I think he's mentioned it that he asked that question. And I sat and thought about it. I said, I, I don't know what it was. I know what the first CD I bought was. I actually bought two. One was used and one was new. Uh, the used one was uh, a best of uh, English beat, or the beat, if you're on that side of the, on Jeff's side of the Atlantic. Uh I bought that. Um, I can't remember what it was called, but I, I bought that CD, and I bought new the CD from uh, the Dukes of Sat uh, Stratosphere, called. Uh, it was an anthology. They had two albums that they put out, and they put them together in one CD, uh, which is called uh, Chips from the Chocolate Fireball. And 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 Dukes of Stratosphere is really the band XTC. They decided to do what, did, what their idea was was let's do a, a let's do an homage. Uh, EP. And they called it. I think it was called Twenty Five O'clock. Was the first EP they put up. It had six songs on it or seven songs on it. And uh, it let's let's you know do so, each song is going to be s sort of uh, you know a, a takeoff of song of, of bands that we um, enjoyed when we were kids that influenced us into the music that we do. And the idea was they were going to release this. Uh, under the name Dukes of Stratosphere, and and the, it and would be publicized as, hey, this was a found album or EP. This material was found. It was lost for so long. This band that, that everybody's forgotten called the Dukes of Stratosphere, the, the, and so they, that was the idea. They were going to market it that way. That it was that was an actual album from the time period that these guys were paying tribute to. Uh, but now nah, the word got out that no, it's XTC. <laughs> I guess it's kind of hard to mistake Andy Partridge's voice. And so he's the uh, main songwriter and singer of the band. Um, Colin Moulding was the other songwriter of the band uh, and did a lot of singing too. But, you know, Andy Partridge has a very distinct, uh, distinctive boy, voice. So, anyways, that's, that's, that was the first CD I bought. Because then their second uh, release that they did under Dukes of Stratosphere was called uh, uh, Sonic Sunspot. So they put the two together, 25 o'clock and Sonic Sp Sunspot together, as a as a as an anthology CD release, and that was the first one I bought. But what was the first album I bought? Yeah, which what was the first? I I I really couldn't think of it, but it might be. It might be. Alvin and the Chipmunks, Chipmunk Punk, which was released in 1980. So I would have been uh, in the in the 10th grade or going into the 10th grade. It was released in the summer of 1980, and I would have been going into the 10th grade, uh, which would have made me what? Uh, let's see, so, so that would be 1980. I was born in 1964. I would have been 15. So. Not quite the most sophisticated music listener at that point. It took art school to get my sophistication in music, ramp it up. It took The Who in 1982 to really get me on the road, but you know, it took art school to, to open my eyes and ears to all kinds of other music. Mostly punk, though. And I don't know why I got it. I thought it'd be funny. 
something, and it was, I guess, amusing to me. But here's here's the thing about that album. Uh, <clears throat> Chipmunk Punk? Punk? This is punk? Let me let me read to you the list, the track listing that the, that this album has. Now it's it's all cover songs, and it's done in the Chipmunk, you know, Alvin and the Chipmunks, uh, you know, effect. So the voices are really high and tinny and. You know, like you know, because that's how chipmunks would sound. Doesn't quite have the same feel as the as the chipmunk song, uh, which was the the Christmas time is here again or whatever. That's you know, or Christmas, Christmas, don't be late. That's it, Christmas, don't be late. Me, I got a hula hoop. You know, the Alvin singing that. That was because I don't think the guy that was originally involved in creating Alvin and Chipmunks wasn't was involved in chipmunk punk. Might have been. I don't know. I didn't dig that, dig that deep into the Wikipedia. I was more interested in going through the listing of songs that were covered on an album called Chipmunk Punk. This is like supposed to be punk rock songs, right? Okay. Well, let's uh, let's go down the list, shall we? Okay. It starts with the song "Let's Go," uh, which was by the Cars, which is not punk. New Wave, pop, but not punk. No. Okay? And that you should notice that's a theme to this album. Next track. Good Girls Don't by The Knack. Again, not punk. New Wave, power pop, but not punk. And uh, uh, the Knack was the thing at that point. When this album was started being recorded in 1979 and was finished up in 1980 and released in 1980, uh, um, The Knack was a big... They were big at that point. That was their moment in the sun where they had the, their, their big hits, or a couple of them. That being one of them. Good Girls Don't was one of their hits. But not punk. How Do I Make You by... Linda Ronstadt, not punk. My goodness, it's like adult contemporary pop. Any that is no. It might I don't know. Could it be considered rock? I suppose. But Linda Ronstadt, no, not punk, not punk. And and these songs aren't done in a punk sort of way. You know, like a typical like stereo, uh, uh, like Sex Pistols or The Clash or something like that. They're not done in that fashion they're in the, in that you know brash and and banging away at the instruments kind of thing and you know uh not not the best musicians but it's no it's not done like they're done as as fairly faithful <laughs> uh, uh, uh covers of the original songs uh, next up <clears throat> refugee by tom petty and the Heartbreakers. I think it's by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I know it's Tom Petty, but I think the Heartbreakers were involved. Not punk. That's just straight up rock and roll. It's kind of close with this collection, though. I mean, Tom Petty had said at some point that uh, the reason for you know his his band's existence was to destroy punk or not punk disco, was to get rid of disco. I I don't know if he was successful, but disco did kind of you know peter out. So, I don't know if that was up to Tom Petty's doing, or him and a bunch of other artists that came up at that time, uh, you know, that just went back to more of the roots of rock kind of sound, um, you know, more like that, a little harder edge, and but it's still, you know, a more basic kind of rock sound, but not punk. Maybe the attitude, a little bit, maybe, in that they wanted to destroy disco, but still. <clears throat> Next up, Frustrated by the knack again not punk this is new wave power pop you know and, and again the knack was the a big deal at the time so that's their second appearance on alvin and the chipmunks chipmunk punk classic album from 1980 <laughs> that song was followed up by this one is as close to punk as it gets as on this in this collection it really is call me by blondie blondie you know, I mean, it's more new wave, yeah, uh, disco-ish, dance kind of stuff, new wave. 
But um, it's as close to punk as they get because Blondie was considered one of the original punk bands. Well, out of the New York scene, uh, Blondie came out of that scene with uh, with Talking Heads and, and Ramones and, and, and Television and other bands of that nature. And that was that, that early punk movement before it made its way over to England, where it got to, it was more influenced by the sound of the Ramones and became more aggressive and political, whereas in the, in the States it was a little more artistic and, um, and just, just kind of independent in their thinking and experimental rather than the, the brash, straightforward, angry, angst-filled uh, kind of music that the, the English punk rock scene came up from and that kind of took over what you know when people think of punk rock that's what they think of they don't think of talking heads necessarily but they should because that's because talking heads was punk because that was the new york scene so that's that's close then it's followed up by a song that is as far away from punk rock as you can possibly get i mean even farther away than the linda ronstead song you may be right by Billy Joel. Ooh, <laughs> Billy Joel. I mean, what the hell, <laughs> Billy Joel? You may be right. I may be crazy. What? Because he says he says he might be crazy, but it might just be a lunatic you're looking for. Oh, okay, sure. That's just pop, rock, sort of. Billy Joel? Come on. Uh, then it's a little thing called, a uh, crazy little thing called Love by Queen, which is a rock song, a rockabilly tune, pop song. That ain't punk. Not punk. Finally, the last song in the album, My Sharona by The Knack. Again, not punk. New wave, power pop, but not punk. And it's interesting, uh, a couple of things on this. Now, The Knack, they, their songs all had sort of a... Uh, lyrically, a lasciviousness to them. You know, it's just, just after the hot chicks. <laughs> you know, uh, a little frank about the sex talk in, in the songs, a little bit. Good Girls Don't. There's a line in the album cut of that song, which some stations would play, but then there was a cleaned up line for, you know, for other, that other stations would play. There's a line in the song that says, uh, an in-between age madness that you know you can't escape. Uh, uh, do I have that right? Oh, that you know you can't erase. I can't read my own writing. Uh, let's start again. And in, bet in between age madness that you know you can't erase till she's sitting on your face. I don't know why she. that's an unusual place for someone to sit. I mean, sitting on your lap, maybe, but I don't, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, they cleaned up the line to uh, when she puts you in your place. Oh, okay. Okay. So how did the chipmunks handle that line? Uh, let's see. Uh, they, let's see. It's they, they, they handle it by saying, till she's getting in your face. I think that's what they say. It's hard to tell. They don't say till she's sitting on your face. That's for sure. But I think they're saying till she's getting in your face. I don't know if getting in your face was a phrase. Like in your face was a phrase so much. Maybe not. I, I, it might have been something, but not the in your face kind of phrase. In your face. <laughs> in your face. You know, it wasn't that in 1980. But there was, you know, get out of my face. You know, you're getting into my face. You're crow you know, crowding me. So maybe that was something. But uh, there's also a line in the song about... Uh, uh, get inside her pants. I mean, I'm not sure I could fit in her pants. I mean, I, you know, I'm pretty tall. I got long legs. I don't know. But, yeah, maybe. But uh, the chipmunks change it to get another chance. Um, I guess the, the knack for their radio edit of the song didn't feel that they needed to, to change getting in her pants. Because, you know, Again, it's just putting on somebody else's pants. Just, I, what's so wrong about that? But Chipmunk Punk, this album is so not punk that it's punk <laughs> in a weird sort of way.
<clears throat> in a hipster sort of looking back on it sort of way. Uh, anyway, so that was that's the, 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 the first question of the five questions podcast that I was part of, asking what was the first album that I bought. And I like again, I think it might be the album Chipmunks, Chipmunk Punk. I think it might be. I know it's one of the earliest ones I bought. I don't know that it's my first. I, I'm I, I, sorry that wasn't something that stuck in my mind that this is the first album I'm buying. Um, I don't know. It does for other people. Do you remember what the first album you bought with your own money? Do you remember? <laughs> and uh, when that podcast is available, I'll uh, I'll let you know so you can listen to the the uh, uh, the com- It's great because what Jeff does is he asks you this question and it just kind of starts a little conversation related to the question it kind of moves where it goes and then he said okay let's ask the next question and then that goes where it goes and it's I, I it was a pleasant conversation i enjoyed it very much um so i'll let you know when it's available let's see what time i got here okay um before i go to this break uh i'm going to say uh well i'm going to acknowledge that uh tv evangelist uh, uh, pat robertson has died and my mom would say, if you have nothing nice to say about someone, say nothing. Well, I, I guess I have one nice thing to say. Uh, Pat Robertson is dead. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. Uh, I'll be back after this break. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. Remember, there's no hugging in the chat room. You're listening to Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on ZTalk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on ZTalk Radio Network. Getting some Z's. Getting some Z's. Getting some Z's. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Listen to Z Talk Radio. On ZTalkRadio.com. Welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Uh, during that break, <clears throat> uh, one of the fellows that I work with at the comic book store came in. <laughs> so if he heads down into the basement, uh, I'm going to you know, introduce you to him. <laughs> if he stays up there, I'm going to try not to be distracted by what he might be doing. Uh, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> You know, you try to get here. See, I'm I'm doing this earlier in the morning than I normally do it, and he probably didn't realize I was going to do that. And uh, you know, because we're opening the store at noon now, we used to open it at two, so that's two hours earlier. So you know, there's stuff I want to get done 
before we open the doors, like get away all the books that I bring in, get them all put away. I don't like trying to do that when the customers are around because I don't want to get in their way and 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 I don't want them in my way. Yeah, it gets it takes too much time, so uh, I like to just you know get them done before we open up the store. So he popped in to grab something. Hopefully, it's just he's bringing it over to his apartment, which is just down at the end of the block, and uh, you know using that, and he won't be back before I finish the show. But we'll see. If he does come down here, I'm going to say, you know, I'm doing a show. Uh, if you want to come and say hi to everybody, you can, but then go away. <laughs> you're, you're distracting me. Anyway, uh, let's see. An interesting photo uh, was uh, uh, sent to me by my friend Michael. And he had a problem with it because, um, as he put it, it was a, it was a, uh, uh, it was a decorum thing. Not necessarily whatever the message that was trying to be sent from the from the photo. It's just that there's a time and a place. And uh, there's the photo is um, of a, it's it's of a man and a woman standing together. They're outside. Actually, they're on the lawn uh, of the White House. You can see the White House behind them. Uh, it's got a couple American flags hanging uh, from the uh, from the uh, is that the Truman balcony? I think that's what they call it. The Truman. I think it's the Truman balcony. I know there's a balcony at the front of the White House, you know, with the columns and all that. That didn't all. That wasn't always there. It's some president. I think it's Truman. But for some, but but might have been Teddy Roosevelt. I'm not sure. But I think it's Truman that had that built in during the their administration. So there'd be a balcony uh, off the second floor, I guess. And anyway, so uh, there's there's a uh, you can see in the background of this photograph you can see one of the American flags that's hanging and the Pride flag because we are in June. June is Pride Month. It, it just think of how far we've come. You know, if 50 years ago, gay folks were just beginning to feel they could come out of the closet, just beginning to feel they could be who they were in public and not feel as though they'd be persecuted in some way. It you know there's been it hasn't been smooth sailing for them since you know since things started getting better but each generation that's come every decade that's come by it's gotten better it, it's it still has a ways to go before people are just accepted that's who you are you're not harming yourself or me or anyone else you have consent with what you are doing you know sexually as long as you have a consent it's with an adult not with an animal fine you know what you do. It's your thing, all right. It's as long as, as long as consent's involved, and you know, and the person involved is able to give consent. So, all right, you know, and it, it, that's who you are. That's who you are. I don't. You, know, you love who you love. That's the, we're trying to get to that point. Some of us in America are not quite there. They're still back in those days where, you know, where they long for the days where we could put the gays back in the closet, and they're the ones right now who are all screaming about trans people and all that so anyway but that's but we have come a fair distance from where we were as a society as a world as a, as a people and we have a ways to go but you know we're improving and that's that's good so anyway i guess uh, so this photograph shows a man and a woman uh, they're on the white house lawn and uh, they they both uh, have their tops off. Uh, the man who is on the left, as you look at the picture, he's doing the like that He-Man pose where he's got his arms raised uh, to the side and he's you know doing the bicep curls kind of thing, you know, where he's showing off his guns. He's bare-chested. He's wearing biker shorts, I think. And next to him, on the right side of the picture, is a woman. She's got her top taken down. She's wearing some kind of a, like a, a, a white mini dress kind of thing. She's got the top down. I, I believe it's taken down. But she's got her hands over her breasts, hiding the nipples. On the man, we can see <clears throat> we can see his chest unobscured. Hair on the chest, some nipples there. You know, we can see all that. And, <clears throat> and uh, so my friend just said, you know, this is there's a time and a place, essentially. This is on the White House lawn. I don't know if this is the right place for something like this. Well, there's something I didn't mention 
about the, the couple, the two people, the man and the woman. They are trans. So that means <clears throat> the man in the picture, when he was born, uh, the doctors saw the penis and said, boy, male, that's what you are. But that's not who he was. Or, no, wait, when he was born, he had a vagina. Let's get it right. <laughs> when he was born, he had a vagina. So they said, girl, female. My goodness. You know, if I edited, I could take that out and not sound stupid. But I don't edit, so, you know, I, let me sound stupid. Okay. He's born with a vagina. Doctors look at it. Vagina, girl, female, boom. But that's not who he was. So at some point, he decided to live as who he was. It's the gender that he that he has, that he is. And, uh, and he had uh, a procedure, at least one, to, to bring his physical appearance more in line with his gender. So he had, you know, I don't know what they do, you know, you know they, they, they bring, take out the mammary glands and some fatty tissue or whatever that's in the breasts, took that stuff out, and it's, you can see the little scar on the bottom of the, of the, of the pec, uh, the pectoral muscle. You can see the scar, right? It's, it's there. So, okay, you can see a procedure's been done. And, and the woman standing next to him, when she was born, she had a penis. And the doctors pointed at it and said, boy, male, except that's not who she was. So at some point in her life, she, she, I'm sure she grew up being presented as a boy, but never was quite right with that. And at some point she decided, no, this is not who I am. I'm a woman. I know I got a penis, but that I'm a woman. So she's had a procedure, at least one, to bring her more in line, her physical look more in line with the gender that she is. So she's, she's had breast implants. All right. I think this is the point that they were making with the photo. And it, and, it, and it goes to the movement of free the nipple, where women should be allowed to go topless in public because men can, and why shouldn't women? Well, you know, America has a real kind of weird relationship with women's breasts, just, just kind of weirdness over them. I mean, I like a nice pair of women's breasts. I, I do. I, you know, but what I think are a nice pair of women's breasts might not be the same as what you think are. But, you know, I think we all kind of like them. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, some like them really big, some like them really small, some like them, you know, whatever. Anyway, so I think the point that they're making in there was that prior to the man's surgery to bring him his physical appearance more in line with his his gender prior to that his nipples couldn't be shown in public but since then they can and the woman in the picture prior to her surgery bringing her more in line with her gender her nipples could be shown in public they're the same nipples there's they're the same nipples but America has this messed up idea about women's boobs. <laughs> yeah. And now, personally, I think very few people, male or female, should ever go anywhere in public without a shirt on, without a top on. Very few. I'm including myself. You will never see me shirtless if I can help it. It's just not, you know, not my style. Uh, there's, there's, there's plenty of people out there. <laughs> that shouldn't. There's a select few, male and female. I'm fine. Yeah, you look pretty good. But, you know, and what I think looks good might not be the same as what you think looks good. Different strokes for different folks, right? So, I don't know. Free the nipple? Uh, I think, let's see. Yeah, I think I've got time before my next break to do one of these. It's not true, it's not true I'm telling you Cause I'm up here and you're nowhere It's not true
that's not true. Well, just last night, my wife showed me this uh, meme, we'll call it, uh, of, a, of just a person standing there and, and had this text written across them that said, I was, whatever age they were, when I learned that open sesame is really open says me. And Amy saw that, and she turned to me, she says, is this, is this true? And I looked at it. I said, I don't know. Let's see what we can find out. I did a little searching. Not real deep. Didn't go real, real deep into it. Did a little searching. Wikipedia has some information. There's another uh, site that has some information. I'll link to both. Uh, I'll try to remember to do so. On the show notes page, so you can check it out and read. Uh, there's an article that talks about the possible origins of open sesame, of the sesame part of it. Where did that come from? Well, it's from the uh, Thousand and One Nights story um and in it was uh, or a series of stories that was i guess in the early 1700s it was uh, translated into french from arabic i believe by someone named uh, anton uh galland but uh, with french pronunciation might be antoine galland i don't know i don't know how you say it i, I don't sorry and i hope i'm not being a pig by doing the french thing but anyway, this person translated these stories. And one of the stories in there is Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. And that's where the open sesame comes from. And there's there's a, a couple suggestions that I'll go through here just lightly. It, it's possible that uh, it's the sesame was based on a Hebrew word, uh, sisma, which essentially means password. So maybe, maybe it's that. Uh, then there's um, then there's the the I think a, st a stronger case is made that it's just from the sesame seed, uh, the the seed pods of the sesame seed the seed pod will will burst open when the seeds are I guess ready to be dropped out, and that's so it's you know open sesame that seem that that seems plausible at least to me, but. The open sesame, is, that comes from the 1937 cartoon, uh, I think it was Max Fleischer's uh, studio, um, uh, Popeye the Sailor Meets Alibaba's 40 Thieves, which is a really good cartoon. Uh, it's just The animation in it is terrific, and it does this, the Fleischer guys did this kind of thing uh, where, or Max Fleischer, I should say, his studio did this thing where they would, they would have layers to... The, the animation, to the art, uh, to uh, what was going on. There'd be something moving in the foreground, there'd be something in the midground, and something in the background. That would be, there'd be layers, I guess, to uh, the camera would be set up in some way, and, you know, there'd be a layer closer to the camera, then there'd be the, 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 the main action is in the middle, the mid layer, and then the back layer, you know, and they would kind of move independently of each other but it would look like you're moving through like if you're just watching you're driving along and you're looking off the horizon the stuff that's close to you moves a little faster the stuff in the middle from you in the mid distance from you moves a little slower and the stuff in the far distance from you moves even slower so that had that same sort of feel going on in there it's just really excellent animation of good stuff and there's songs they sing in it and it's you know it's a little mini musical and you know, whatever but there's a scene in it in which uh, Popeye had been captured by the, the 40 thieves in Alibaba, and he'd been tied up, and he'd, he's down a well or something, and there's these sharks going after him. And you know about Popeye, the sailor. He gets super strength when he eats his spinach. I fights to the finish when I eat my spinach or something like that. Um, he's Popeye, the sailor man. So he, he, he apparently has this big can, and that's what the fun thing about animation. You can have this giant can within the inside pocket of your shirt. <laughs> when it's in the pocket, you, don't, you can't even see it. It's like a TARDIS. It's just bigger on the inside. Uh, he takes out, he, gets, he works the can out, and then he says to the can, Open, says me. That's, arg, arg, arg. that's as close as I can get to Popeye. That's where that comes from. It's 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 you already saw within the cartoon, the 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 use of the phrase "open sesame" to open up a cave or something. So you've already seen that. It's already been established that open. I mean, it's not sesame. Open sesame has been used. 
to open up a cave. So we already saw that. That's established the, the open sesame, and that was a known phrase as well by 1936 or 1937. So then when Popeye does the callback, but he says, open says me... You know, it's a play on that. It's not what it actually means. So, so the idea that open sesame, sesame is from, is actually open sesame, well, it's not true. It's not true, it's not true. I'm telling you, because I'm up here and you're nowhere. It's not true. Okay, I've gotten up to my uh, my next break. So, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I'll return after this break. To Z Talk Radio Network. I am living on channels. Oh, Lord, honey, can somebody tell me what my future holds? Hey, man, you think I can get a reading? Uh, Wrong answer. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Dr. Dim, Jim Fitzsimmons, only on Z Talk Radio. Grandpa, look what I got. Wait till you see the bike we got for Jake. It is the coolest thing. Hearing loss happens gradually with age, making it easy to ignore. Yet most older Americans aren't getting their hearing tested. Dad, can you hear me? Untreated hearing loss can keep your loved ones from enjoying what they cherish most. Don't let that happen. Speak up about hearing loss. You'll be glad you did. Brought to you by the American Speech-Language Hearing Association. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. Welcome back to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. You know what a really completely ludicrous movie is? Absolutely ludicrous. Didn't buy it for a second. Just, ugh. <sighs> Red Dawn from 1984. Got together with a couple friends the other night. Uh, one of the friends and I had never seen uh, Red Dawn. The other friend owned it on a DVD. Uh, and he thought, he's, it's great. And hey, it's art. You know, you like what you like. There's really no wrong answers, except I found the film to be completely ludicrous. I didn't buy it for a second. Uh, it's, in case you don't know what it is, I mean, it's 1984. It's right in the heart of of the Reagan administration. It's just, he's, uh, Reagan himself is headed toward his uh, re-election victory of a landslide in which every state in the Union went to him. It was won by Reagan. Every state except Minnesota. The one sane state in the whole bunch. No, it's just because Walter Mondale's from Minnesota and we just wanted to vote for our boy. You know, I did. That was the first election in which I could vote, a presidential election. And uh, uh, I, I went to, a friend of mine called me on election night, or earlier in, in, uh, in the evening. He said, look, the uh, Mondale's uh, election night rally place 
is at the St. Paul Civic Center. We gotta go. This is this is a one chance. You know, this is a chance in a lifetime. We gotta go. It's open to the public. Let's go. And I said okay. So we went out. We voted, and then you know we went on over there, and it was you know we walk in. <laughs> By the time we got to the map was being shown, and we see red across the board. <laughs> and a reporter came up and talked to John, that's my friend, and he said to him, "What?" Did, and he's like, well, you know, doesn't look good. <laughs> and, uh, um, and so we just, we waited for a bit, uh, you know, while the, the crowd kind of grows. And it's like, we're kind of somber mood because it's pretty clear. The only Minnesota and the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C., the only two areas of America that were won by Mondale in the electoral college system kind of thing. Which I talked about last week about how ridiculous that is. <clears throat> I mean, I wanted to see, in 2020, I wanted to see a blue map. I wanted to see deep red states going blue because of the, because Fearless Loser is was such a loser that people just said, that's it, we've had it with him. <laughs> Apparently not. <clears throat> anyway, at least the you know the proper candidate won because he won. You know, he won six or seven million votes. He won. You know, anyway. if you think he didn't, if you think there was some shenanigans there, you're so sorely mistaken. Anyway, so uh, Monday, you know, it's getting to the time where it's obvious he's got you know Monday's going to concede, which is what you know proper adult serious politicians do when they lose they concede if they're little babies they don't they whine and complain and they get their they get their minions to try to uh, affect a coup that's what they do and the first time in the history of our country we did not have a peaceful transfer of power because a big baby didn't want to accept the fact that he lost so anyway Walter Mondale was not a big baby. He understood. I've lost. He says, you know, so he comes He comes in. The, the, wall, the Mondale family comes in. There's this long ramp that comes up along the main floor of the Civic Center. This long ramp that goes up to the stage. And as they're coming in, the people are kind of surging to shake hands with the Mondale family, with Walter himself, you know. And it was funny because the, the surge was there. You know, everybody's kind of pushing. But when Mondale's daughter... Uh, Eleanor, what was her name? Who was a fairly attractive woman. She comes along and the crowd seemed to surge just a little more. <laughs> a little more of a push, it seemed. Maybe I'm just misremembering. And then Mon Mondale got up there and he, he gave a gracious concession speech. Talked about, okay, Ronald Reagan's going to be the president. Uh, still, we need to support him and, you know, help to, you know, move the country forward and you know, this is that's what they do, unless you're a big baby. So that was so. My friend was right. We needed to be there. It was a historical mo a historical moment that that was probably the one time we're going to have anything like that where we can be a part of it. Uh, it's probably I don't you know who knows. There might be somebody come up from Minnesota that uh, runs for president and has to lose again to. Uh, <laughs> we can go see them lose. Uh, give a concession speech. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Now, where was I going with this? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Red Dawn. <clears throat> it was a very jingoistic period in our country's history. Uh, you know, very anti-commie. You know, I hate commies. You know, everybody should hate commies. But very anti-commie. And, uh, and it, it, it starts off, the movie starts off pretty, I mean, it gets right to it. We do get some text to tell us that the world's going to shit. So this sort of set things up. I have a feeling that the, the producers felt that, well, you know, we got to put some text in there at the beginning because you know, to set this up because, you know, people might not buy that, uh, that the commies, the, the Soviets and the, and the Cubans, are invading some small town in Colorado, paratrooping in. Huh? What? <laughs> They're parachuting in. Paratroops. I mean, really? So, uh, this is where they're going? I don't know. <laughs> now that that, I it it just to me, I wasn't buying it. The the whole thing. I just wasn't buying it. But it does open pretty crisply. Uh, 
I mean, it, 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 you're not in the film uh, too long before you're uh, seeing, you know, you're, there's the, you get a couple character moments where Patrick Swayze is the older brother of, you know, to uh, Charlie Sheen's character, and then there's a couple of kids, and they're talking about whatever, and then heading into school, and they get into school, and they're having some lessons. They're not talking about how the world's going to shit. But, you know, the teenage kids in those days, who they didn't care. And uh, so they get in the class, and there's a teacher teaching them some history lesson uh, of, uh, of some war maneuver, some battle maneuver that took place to turn the tide of a battle by encircling the enemy and encircling and encircling. And I guess the idea was that's what the commies were doing to the, the Americans at that point, maybe. But I looked at it as being, you know... It, like Chekhov's gun. Uh, there's this device in in writing plays and that, which is you know I guess the the playwright Chekhov came up with, that if you introduce something like a gun in the first act, that needs to come in to play in the third act. James Bond movies use Chekhov's whatever uh, extensively. You know, there's some device that's given to Bond at the at the beginning of the film that. And most most often comes into play in the at the end of the film. It saves the day at the end of the film. So, but this I thought this was be was be this would be this this bit of strategy that the teacher's talking about that the kids would pick up on and remember. You know, when they're when they're the resistance fight uh, fighters of of the uh, of the commies, right? I thought, but no, that doesn't come into play. Anyway, so the teacher's giving this lesson, and he sees, he's looking out the window, and he sees all these paratroopers coming down. And at first, it's like, well, they're not in the right place. They think it's like military maneuvers, you know, some war drill of, of American military, but I guess. And then it seems pretty clear. So, wait, this seems odd. So the teacher goes outside to say, oh, excuse me, can I help you guys? And then he gets shot. <laughs> and they shoot up the school and the kids. So, I mean, that happens like, boom, right away in the movie. There's no no waiting around. And suddenly these kids become great guerrilla fighters. <laughs> it's like, they don't... None of them... I mean, uh, you know, the, the three of us were poking fun of the, of the film as we were watching it. And uh, there's, a, there's a moment in there. All right, the kids are holed up, up in the mountains and... They sneak into town by just walking in. And they, they go into some store, which in the store has a commie guard up on a, uh, up, a, up above, walking along. You know, so it's like a little balcony kind of area inside the store, walking and keeping an eye on things. But he's not really paying attention to these three kids huddled over the counter, talking to the woman, the cashier on the other side of the counter, saying, what's going on? And then, what's happened? What's happening? What's going on? Where's my parents? Have you seen my dad? Where? What's going on? Oh, I'm not, I'm going to tell you this, but I'm not supposed to say this. They've been taken out of town. The troublemakers were taken out of town. They've been taken to a re-education camp, which is at the drive-in. Okay. And, and and the guard isn't, you know, it's a shit guard because he's not like, hey, what are you guys doing? Hey, da, da, back, break it up there. What are you kids? And she, and she tells them, the cashier tells them that you guys are wanted by the KGB. Do you think they'd be looking out for them? <clears throat> anyway, so the, the, the Charlie uh, Sheen and Patrick Swayze, two brothers and some other character, they go to the, the re-education camp, which uh, has a, a, a set of two fences Right, so there's the inside fence, the chain link fence that's put around temporary stuff, put around the camp where the where the uh, the troublemakers are kept, and there's like ten feet between from that fence to the outside fence that goes around the perimeter. So there's like a ten foot gap in there, just to you know keep the keep a distance, right? And the commies just let anybody walk up to the fence, the outside fence, and just talk to anybody on the inside. They just let, this is a re-education camp. This is a camp where, you know, if, if you're re-educating somebody, you want to cut them off from the outside world. 
you don't want their, their kids showing up and telling them, hang in there, Dad, or, you know, just kind of, you, you don't, it's, you don't want that. I mean, this movie was filled with, as this was a joke that the, the running joke throughout the film between the three of us that, oh, there's your Oscar moment, where, you know, they all get emotional and stuff. So there's a big emotional moment because they, they meet up with their dad, who's over, he's in the camp, and it's, he's played by Harry Dean Stanton, who's a good actor, and usually when he shows up in movies, it's interesting. Because he's an interesting actor. He brings a little something to every role he plays. Even if he's in a bad movie like this one, uh, he, he he brings some interest. But, yeah, even he couldn't bring much interest in there for me. And he's telling them about things. And the kids are, 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 are leaving. And he calls out after them, Avenge me! <laughs> what? I would Avenge you? What is this about you? Avenge you? Avenge you for what? <laughs> this is what you know the, the country's been attacked and then you know, we learn from powers booth this is an actor he comes pops in there i don't know somehow they find him and and uh, and he's a he's a, a air force guy uh lieutenant colonel i guess and he starts to train up the kids and he tells them about what's going on in the parts of america that are held by america and what's happening in the world and england's on our side but europe is pretty much wants to stay out of it they, they figure two world wars in one century is enough but this is world war three and all that kind of, it's just i didn't buy it the acting was horrible and it, it, the editing was bad. It's sometimes like, okay, what's going on now? How this jump from this to that? What? What's happening? It, you know. And then there's voiceover at the end, and a lot of times voiceover is a, I don't know, it's, a, it's kind of can be considered like a cop out kind of thing. But it, it's it's just we got through it. It's just, it's ludicrous. I don't believe it for a second. There's a point at which the the, the partisans, the kids, the Wolverines, you know, they, they're their high school mascot nickname. These wolverines, uh, um, you know, they're they're up in the uh, up in the mountains behind a bunch of uh, commie soldiers that are going to execute a bunch of you know Americans for whatever, and they're behind them, right? So uh, the kids, the the partisans, they're they're behind the commies. They're all got their weapons trained on the on the innocent Americans over there, right? So and and and. They're counting, you know, down, you know, to to fire, and the the command is given to fire, and the the, the kids up in the hills, they they shoot first, and they shoot all the guys. And this is from behind, okay. Not one of the people in front of that were the the people to be executed. Not one of them got winged or hit or anything like that. You're behind them. They're not that high up behind them. They're behind them. It's like it's, it's just anyway. It, it, the movie is ridiculous. And it's it's it fits in with the jingoistic nature of the time, and, and all that. And I watched the Siskel and Ebert review of the film. Gene Siskel liked the first hour. He thought it was pretty compelling. He thought it was it moved along really well. He thought it set up some interesting premise and all that. But it just kind of petered out toward the end. Roger Ebert, quite a liberal guy, didn't like it at all. <laughs> you know, it's like. It's it because of the jingoism because of the it just it, it it was implausible it's implausibility but it's you know the the politics of the right wing politics of it he didn't like it he you know it's it's he just uh, he he had problems with the movie and I was in Rogers camp watching this thing I said, this is this is just horrible this makes you know the hardcore NRA member you know that gives them you know wet pants watching the movie. Oh, they we got all have our guns. Here's the case the commies come and get us. Yeah, okay, whatever. I do, I do agree that it did start briskly and moved along pretty well at the beginning, but it was a goddamn stupid movie. Before I leave <clears throat> the show, uh, the, uh, before we finish up. Wanted to mention something that I saw in that same episode of uh, of uh, Cicel and Ebert at the movies. I think it was called at that point. Uh, something that Roger said. Um, they were they they reviewed the film Revenge of the Nerds, and the two of them were talked about. Yeah, it's got some of the gross out sex humor that movies like uh, Animal House and Porky's would have or had. Uh, it has some of that, but then it, it transcends. There's a gentleness to it. There's a, uh, a humanizing of these nerds, the relationship between the nerds and how they support each other and all that. They liked that, and they thought that it, there was a good message to it and all that. And Roger said that his his favorite moment was when the nerd 
got the blonde. Now, uh, I saw on Facebook, somebody left a message. I might have mentioned this last week. Somebody left a message about personal growth. And they said, if you don't look back at times in your history, in your personal history, things you've said, things you did, if you don't look back at some of them and think and cringe a little, like, Ugh, because because you've, you know, they said uh, what they, their conclusion was, if you don't, you haven't grown as a person. You know, it, it, there's, I mean, maybe you were just always that wonderful person who was always caring and like a Mister Rogers type guy who was always caring and always, but you know, and always uh, polite and thought the best of everybody and, and never used any kind of language that would make you feel a little. Eh, I did say that, I did use that word. I I did tell that joke. Oh, I did laugh at that thing, you know, and make you feel cringy. Because I have those moments. I look back. And go, eh, yeah, yeah. I would think that Roger would look at back at that statement. Because uh, he's a pretty liberal guy. If he were still alive today and looked at that, and, and, and the reassessment of an aspect of that movie, of Revenge of the Nerds, there's been a reassessment of it. Um, and there were probably people at the time that had that same, the assessment that we have now looking at it. But most of us didn't even think, you know, we thought, good for you. You did it. You got the hot chick, right? Nerd. You got the hot chick. Well, how did the nerd get the hot chick? By deception. See, back then when we watched it, at least I didn't think it, and apparently Roger Ebert didn't think it. But when you think back on it now, what happened in the scene was there was this big, I don't know, fundraiser thing that's going on with the amusement rides and whatnot. And it's a costume thing. And one of the nerds finds out that the, 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 the lead jock, who's the boyfriend of the hot blonde, is, is going to be costumed as Darth Vader. So he steals the costume. The nerd does. And he goes in as Darth Vader. Well, the girlfriend thinks it's her boyfriend. Ooh, excuse me. Almost fell over here. <laughs> the girlfriend thinks that the nerd is, his, is her boyfriend because he's wearing the Darth Vader costume. And they go into some place and they have sex. He keeps the mask on, right? And he, but except to do a certain thing that had something to do with sitting on faces. So, anyway, anyway, um, <clears throat> does something, and and just lights up her life, you know. Oh, sweet mystery of life! At last, I found you. You know that that moment. She has that moment, and it's just this is so wonderful. Oh, you've you've never been better. Oh, you've been so great. And then he takes the mask off, and it's the nerd. And at the time, we all went, good for you, nerd. You got the hot chick. And you showed her what a great lover you are. But looking at it now, that's awfully rapey. She didn't consent to have sex with you, nerd. She consented to have sex with her boyfriend. She thought you were her boyfriend. I don't think she's going to have that, oh, I'm in love with you now because you're so good at what you were doing. She's going to feel... I would think she'd feel violated. I, I just you know, and I and I hope that Roger, were he still alive today, which I wish he was, and I wish Gene was still alive today, and the two of them were still doing at the movies, because uh, that was that was a great show. Uh, I have a feeling he'd look at that and kind of hit his reaction to it, and cringe. Good night, Herr Doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. Well, I made it to the end of another show without my coworker, boss, whatever, coming back. You didn't get to meet him. Uh, but hey, we got the show done, and isn't that wonderful? So re uh, remember to be skeptical, and extraordinary claims uh, require extraordinary evidence. You've been listening to Dimland Radio on the Talk Radio Network, and I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, reminding you to sleep with the lights off. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission.
This has been a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. Well, I'm going to hell.